0: Listening to the VC Twenty podcast, a space for meaningful conversations and relevant teachings. Thanks for tuning in to the VC Twenty podcast, y'all have no idea how long I wanted to utter those words, but hopefully this is one of those better late than never situations. Shout out to my man Alberto on the ones and twos back there, the wizard who has made this podcast happen. Uh, and uh, today we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Uh, we started a sermon series through the books of First and Second Kings, looking at the lives of two major prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about this this encounter that Elijah has with a widow. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to First uh, Kings seventeen. If you are driving in your car, please refrain from grabbing your Bible and you pay attention to the road. But uh, if you do have a Bible, flip with me to 1 Kings 17 or scroll with me. Perhaps you're on your device. And uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. We're actually going to work our way through verse 24. But uh, to begin with, I just want to read through verse 18. The word of the Lord says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, I don't have any bread, is essentially what she says. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. This this woman has essentially given up on life, and, and she's ready to cash the whole thing in. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did, as as Elijah said, I love this woman's obedience. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and invite God's presence. I'm going to talk to you for the next few moments from this subject, this idea, two truths and one lie. Two truths, one lie. I'll make that make sense for us in a moment. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are so good. You are so strong. You are so mighty. You are truth. Lord, you are love. You are grace. You are mercy. You are our everything. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me to your people. Change us by your word. Transform us from the inside out. Conform us to the image of Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. So last week, we talked about how in the kingdom of God, weakness is the way. Because it's in our weakness that the strength of God is perfected. It's in our weakness that His power is put on full display. And today I want to I carry on that theme in, in some ways by considering what it means to, to trust God in our weakness even when life is difficult. We're going to look at the life of this widow and we'll see in a literal sense uh, this thing that we say often uh, at VC20, which is this reality that in the kingdom it's the hungry who get fed. Now, just to recap really quickly, God sends the prophet Elijah to pronounce a drought in Israel as judgment for Ahab's wickedness. We, we said last week, Ahab was an all-around bad dude. Ahab was the latest in a long line of really bad kings who were told that he was worse than any other king before him. And to make matters worse, Ahab gets booed up with a gal from a neighboring pagan nation named Jezebel. And Jezebel instituted the worship of the false gods of Baal and Asherah and murdered the prophets of the one true God. And together, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, they're hunting down Elijah and, and literally trying to kill him. Now, after spending some time by the brook Cherith, that, that word Cherith means to cut down. And, and we talked about how God was uh, teaching Elijah by the brook Cherith what it means to, to be completely dependent upon him. After spending some time there, God sends Elijah to Zarephath where he encounters this widow. Uh, have you ever uh, played the game two truths and one lie? If you've been to any youth group or summer camp, I'm sure you have, but for those of you who who maybe haven't, uh, the point of this game is to list three facts about yourself, two of them being true and one of them being a lie, and the goal is to to spot the lie. So let's play a a quick round with myself. Here's three facts about me. Number one, I used to work for an NBA all-star and Olympic gold medalist. Number two, I'm secretly an introvert. And number three, I once shattered every bone in my left forearm and wrist trying to dunk a basketball. Can you guess the lie? Yeah, it's, it's number two. I'm secretly an introvert. I'm not an introvert. In fact, I don't understand you people. I am a raging extrovert. And if you know me, you probably didn't have too difficult a time of guessing that. But uh, not every truth is easy to hear, right? Some truths... Hard to swallow. I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. I rewatch probably the show that he's most notable for, which is The West Wing. I rewatch this over and over again. Aaron Sorkin writes like a dream, y'all. A lot of y'all are too young. You don't even know The West Wing. I can't encourage you enough to 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 watch this thing just for the sheer genius of the show. In fact, I contend that every American should be required to watch The West Wing every election cycle because it would make us all so much more informed voters. But uh, not only does Aaron Sorkin write for a TV series, he also writes for films. And, and one of his most famous films, one of my favorites, is, is A Few Good Men. And there's this famous scene where Tom Cruise has Jack Nicholson on the w- witness stand and, and Cruise says, I want the truth, to which Nicholas famously responds, you can't handle the truth. Today, I want to show you from this text two truths. They're simple truths, but they're the sort that are hard to handle for some and i also want to expose one lie one heinous lie that we're so often tempted to believe sometimes at the cost of our very souls two truths one lie here's the first truth truth number 1 life is hard sometimes life is hard now i know that might not sound revelatory to you but when we find ourselves in the midst of hardship we struggle to to believe that life life is hard for elijah uh, he's being hunted down by Ahab and Jezebel's army, but life couldn't get much worse for this widow. Being uh, a young widow during this time would have made her a social and economic outcast. She would have been at, at hugely high risk of, of exploitation. And we know that she is next to nothing because Scripture emphasizes how little she has. Elijah asks her for a drink and a piece of bread, and she says in verse 12, "...I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour, a little bit of oil, a few sticks." Now if you'll leave me alone, oh man of God, I'm going to take my bread, bake it, make my last meal, and my son and I, we're going to die. She, like you and I, has very little resource to meet the demands of life. You know, we never quite have enough money. We surely never have enough time. We went to the wrong college, or we didn't go to college at all, or we were born into the wrong family, or didn't have the right relationships, and as a result, life is hard. Life is hard when there's dissonance between our resources and our demands, Now, that isn't always the case. A lot of hardship we face is completely out of our control. It could be the result of an unfavorable diagnosis or some other sort of tragedy. You know, I was talking to one of our leaders just a few days ago, and they were describing how they feel like they're running on fumes and experiencing a dark night of the soul because pre-COVID they were crushing it at work. And they were on the fast track for a promotion, but then this virus hit. and Now they're confined to working from home by themselves, bored out of their minds for eight hours a day. Their relationships have suffered, their emotional health has suffered, and, and I share this story with you because I know a lot of you are going through the exact same thing. For many of you, life is hard right now. Life is hard, uh, maybe not right now, if life is good for you, we're praising God and rejoicing for you, but, but I'm sure you've been through a bad experience or two, and, and, and nobody should ever preach to you a gospel, nor should you ever believe a version of the gospel that does not include that reality. Life is hard. Jesus seemed to go out of his way, in fact, to prepare his disciples for hardship and suffering. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says, uh, in this life, you will have trouble. He doesn't say you might. He doesn't say perhaps. He says, you will most certainly have trouble. And Jesus would know because the guy got murdered. So what do you do then when life gets hard? This woman, she thinks she's preparing her last meal. But then Elijah has the audacity to ask her to feed him first because God said he was going to provide. Can you imagine what this woman might have been thinking? You know, it isn't likely that she worshipped Yahweh because Zarephath was the capital city of Sidon where Jezebel was from, like I said earlier. It was a nation that worshipped the pagan gods of Baal. But clearly, as they always do, these false gods failed to hold up their end of the deal and this woman finds herself with no other option. She's left with no other hope. And so she uses all that she has left. And and by faith, it seems, she prepares this meal for Elijah. And that simple act of faith made a way for a miracle in her life because sure enough, God is a promise-keeping God. God did what he said, and, and her jar of flour was never spent, and her jug of oil was never empty. Obedience led to her blessing. God turned her scarcity into abundance. When life is hard, we need to continue to trust God and our trust is proven through our obedience. You know, perhaps uh, many of you have been laid off or furloughed during COVID. Uh, I'm not sure if this is true for you. I don't want to project this upon you. But whenever I go through some financial hardship, the first thing to go is my giving. It's my generosity. But what if, in those moments, we decided to 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 give over and abundantly? What if, in those moments, we we decided to trust God and by faith we gave, we gave uh, extravagantly? When life is hard, we need to continue to trust God, and that trust is proven by obedience. We can't just talk about it. we got to be about it. we got to bring to God what little we have, whether it's a little oil and a little flour, and watch Him make a miracle out of it. When Elise and I are visiting our, her family in D.C., we like to worship at this one church in particular that reminds us of the vineyard. And one Sunday in the middle of that worship set, a, a woman got up on stage and she shared this prophetic word that I'll never forget. It, it's such a simple word, but it struck me so in the moment. She said, I see a ladder, but it only has one step, the first step. And a one-step ladder might seem pretty useless, but God is simply calling you to take the first step and to trust Him with the rest. If God, you showed, if God showed you the solution, if if He showed you exactly where He was taking you, the first step wouldn't require faith. But faith is what we need during hardship. Faith bridges the gap between our present circumstances and, and what we believe to be true about the nature and character of God. I've used this example a ton. It's it's a well-worn example if you've listened to any of my sermons, but but I'm going to share it again because it, it it really fits this point. You know, if Elise were to come down and, and ask me for my car keys, I would give them to her without reservation. I don't, I don't need to know where she's taking my car. Uh, she could be... Driving it into a tree. I, I don't think she would do that because that would hurt her and me. But but I don't need to know what she's doing with my car because I know her. And, and I, I know that she intends only good for my life and that she loves me and that she cares for me. And likewise, we, we by faith can trust God with the car keys to our lives, if you will. Not always knowing the destination, but knowing Him and trusting Him. So the first truth, life is hard. The second truth, God moves in mysterious ways. Or to say it another way, God rarely moves in convenient ways or ways that we want or expect. God will surprise you with how He answers your prayers or how He chooses not to answer your prayers. God will surprise you with where He calls you to go and what He asks you to leave behind. Often, God's ways seem like the wrong ways, but Isaiah 55.9 tells us that His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's working in mysterious ways in this story. The fact that Elijah finds himself in Zarephath is, is kind of strange, y'all. Like I said earlier, Zarephath was a city in Sidon, which if if they had Wikipedia back then, its notable residents would have said Jezebel, the same woman who's currently trying to kill this man. The fact that God sends Elijah to the widow is weird, too, because the famine is no respecter of persons, and Sidon is no small place. But instead of sending Elijah to royalty or to those in power, God sends him to this poor And lowly widow. The first sermon that Jesus ever preached was a sermon about this story. Luke chapter 4, verse 25 it says, I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Jesus made this widow the star of the story. The fact that God is a God of the outsider and always bends toward the broken made the religious leaders of his day so angry they tried to kill him after his very first sermon. I preached my first sermon when I was like 14 years old, and when I was done, everybody told me how cute I was, and we all went out to Applebee's. But God is faithful to his word, and he honors this widow's obedience by blessing her with abundance. And, and you know, that would have been a great place for the story to end. The praises are going up. The blessings are coming down. God is providing an abundance. But then, verse 17. We all have those verse 17 moments in our lives. Those moments of hardship that are um, completely unexpected. They sneak up on you like a sucker punch, sucking all the proverbial wind out of you. Verse 17, it says, After the blessing, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. This widow's little boy is dead. And this widow's response in verse 18, this leads us to the lie that I hope to expose. Verse 18, she says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She says, What gives, man? Are you here to punish me for all the wrong that I've done by taking my son from me? You know, the lie that we're tempted to believe when trials come, the lie that chokes out all hope and suffocates our faith is, is the lie that God is out to get us. When, when we find ourselves in the face of difficulty, one of the things that we, we often believe is that God is angry with me. He can't wait to punish me. He's sitting in heaven waiting on me to mess up so he can reveal his true colors. You know, it's not unreasonable to feel this way when you face the death of someone you love or when you face the end of a marriage or a dream is being stripped away. And it makes sense why this widow reacted this way, but it is a lie nonetheless. Listen to me, VC20. One of Satan's greatest strategies is to try to get believers to think that God is our enemy. A God who who's out to get us doesn't describe our God at all. it actually describes the false gods of, of Baal Baal was uh notorious for uh withholding blessing and giving out punishment to all who would uh, disobey him. He was an incredibly vindictive God. Our God is a god of love. The fundamental truth of the Christian faith is that God is love. I've struggled with this my entire life I'm paid to do this, but it's still a struggle. I live with this suspicion that God is constantly disappointed in me that I'm always letting him down somehow. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is impartial to our sin and that he doesn't discipline his children. I'm not saying that God isn't a God of righteous anger whose wrath will one day be poured out on all sin. What I am saying is that God is not out to get you. This is a fundamental misunderstanding and misrepresentation of the true nature and character of God. God isn't out to get you. He's out to save you. He's out to love you. He's out to bless you. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us the true heart of God. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the God that we serve. God isn't out to get you. God's out to love you. Let's pick up our story in verse 19. Elijah says to her, Give me your son. And he took uh, him from her her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Notice Elijah, God's number one prophet, probably seminary trained Bible scholar. He doesn't know what's going on here, which uh, means that you and I are in good company. God works in mysterious ways. Verse 21, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times, and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth the final word in our story is truth. The truth of who God is needs to prevail over the lie that we're so tempted to buy, this lie that God is out to get me. Like I said, if you're listening, maybe someone uh, uh, lied to you and told you that this was a sports podcast and you've been duped, but perhaps you're listening and you're not a Christian. I want you to know that God's not out to get you. With every act toward you, he's out to save you. He's out to woo you. He's out to win you and show you that He is a God of everlasting love. Perhaps you 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 are a believer, but the hardships of life still don't make much sense. Here's what you can be assured of today. Every act from God is an act of redemption. Everything He does has a redemptive quality to it. And so I want you to take heart today. And uh, when you're facing hardship, know that With God, the worst thing is never the last thing, that he is for you, that he loves you. And this is a God who's worth trusting because he always follows through on his word. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, really reveal to us in a real and tangible way the kind of God you are, a God who is oriented toward us in love, whose love isn't wearied by our sin, whose love is everlasting. Lord, grow in our hearts trust and faith in you, even when life hurts the most. Because God, we, we hold fast to the promise that you work all things together for our good. That, that you're always redeeming, you're always working, you're always changing and transforming. Lord, we want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to to know you for who you truly are. Let the truth of who you are prevail over any lie that the, the enemy wants us to believe. Lies that you're out to get us, that you're constantly disappointed in us. It's your heart, Lord, it's your will that all would come and none would perish. So we come to you today with all that we have, with our struggles, with our hardships, with our curiosities, with our questions, we come to you today, trusting in your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC 20 podcast. Make sure to subscribe for more sermons and intentional conversations. You can also check us out online at bc20.com.